You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Dexon team claims ransomware attack against Air Asia. DraftKings users suffer credential harvesting and pay card theft. Assessing cyber risk in the U.S. pharmaceutical industry. Killnet claims successes few others can discern. Coral Terrio on digital echo chambers and what's in it for us. Nancy Wong from Ford's Alert Logic discusses how she is helping more young women get into the STEM field and leadership positions. And Google seeks to render Cobalt Strike less useful to threat actors. Cyberwire Studios here at Data Tribe. I'm Trey Hester with your Cyberwire summary for Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022. The Dexon Team, a criminal ransomware game that was the subject of a joint CISA and FBI warning last month, has claimed a successful attack on Malaysian carrier AirAsia's networks. The gang claims on their portal, Hacker News reports, to have stolen personal information associated with 5 million passengers and all of the airline's employees. According to Tech Monitor, quote, The attack is said to have happened on the 11th or 12th of November, and the Daxon team has shared two spreadsheets showing what appears to be personal information from passengers and staff of the airline, including date of birth, country of birth, where the person is from, when employed for employees, and the secret question and answer used to secure accounts. End quote. In their advisory last month, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and the FBI said that the Dexon team appeared to base their ransomware on leaked Babic Locker's source code. They also said that the gang has been known for its concentration on the healthcare sector, but clearly this particular group of hoods is branching out. DraftKings users have fallen victim to a hack the Action Network reported yesterday. Some users reported suspicious bank activity from the online betting platform, such as changed login credentials and spam emails. The company, however, reports no breach of systems. CNBC reported yesterday that the online betting platform has said they've found no evidence of a breach of systems following the hacking reports. The company reports that less than $300,000 of customer funds were affected, and DraftKings co-founder and president for global technology and product, Paul Lieberman, said in a statement, quote, DraftKings is aware that some customers are experiencing irregular activity with their accounts. We currently believe that the login information of these customers was compromised on other websites and then used to access their DraftKings accounts, where they use the same login information. End quote. DraftKings says they intend to make whole any customers that were impacted by the hacks. Given that DraftKings thinks customer login credentials were compromised on other sites where they'd been reused, it's worth reflecting on two familiar security best practices. First, don't reuse passwords. And second, enable multi-factor authentication where it's available. Moody's Investor Services released a report last week on cyber risks in the pharmaceutical industry. The report says that overall, the cyber risk to the pharmaceutical sector is low. The report details the pharmaceutical industry's systemic risks labeling them as moderate, largely because of the sector's high profile and the significant potential for consequences of an attack. But cyber risk mitigations done by the industry as a whole keep the overall risk low, despite the moderate severity of systemic risks. Killnet continues its program of nuisance attempts against Western targets of opportunity. 
The Hacker Auxiliary Group has recently turned its attention to, among others, the British royal family, Computer Weekly reports. These have been the now familiar and largely ineffectual distributed denial-of-service attacks. Killnet made large and baseless claims of success, saying that it hit three targets in the UK, Bankers Automated Clearing Service, the London Stock Exchange, and the official website of the Prince of Wales. The group said the royal official site was down, adding, perhaps this is due to the supply of high-precision missiles to Ukraine. Also, today all medical institutions, government services, and online services will stop working. No one else sees any signs of such successes. And finally, Cobalt Strike is a legitimate penetration testing toolset, but it's often mentioned in dispatches as one that criminals and state actors abuse against their targets. The security firm Fortra, formerly Help Systems, developed Cobalt Strike so users could emulate an attack against their networks in the course of testing for vulnerable software. Unfortunately, since the toolset was introduced 10 years ago, threat actors have been able to abuse it as what Google calls, quote, a robust tool for lateral movement in their victims' networks as part of the second-stage payload attack, end quote. Google is seeking to make such abuse more difficult by, quote, releasing to the community a set of open-sourced Yara rules and their integration as a virus total collection to help the community flag and identify Cobalt Strike's components and its respective versions. Since many threat actors rely on cracked versions of Cobalt Strike to advance their cyber attacks, we hope that by disrupting its use, we can help protect organizations, their employees, and their customers around the globe. The rules focus on detecting versions of the tools being deployed across a system. The pirated versions are, Google explains, usually at least one version behind Fortra's latest version of Cobalt Strike. Screening them out and disabling them, Mountain View hopes, will take Cobalt Strike out of the criminal's hands and return it to legitimate red team users where it belongs. Coming up after the break, World Terrio discusses digital echo chambers and what's in it for us. And Nancy Wong from Fortis Alert Logic discusses how she's helping more young women get into the STEM field and leadership positions. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. 
Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Nancy Wong is VP of Technical Product Management at Alert Logic by Help Systems. Nancy is looking to solve the low female employee representation in technical fields like software development, cybersecurity, and technical product management, especially in leadership positions. When I joined Alert Logic in the R&D team, this was 10 years ago, I was the only female employee at the time out of almost like 200 people. Now looking back, we have way more people in R&D, in tech. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of like pleasant change around uh, female in leadership roles as well. But if we look at the stats, it's still not to the, the level that we, you know, we want to see, right? It's still, you don't see the same amount of female tech employees or tech leaders compared to the, the male uh, counterpart. So, Overall, I think the industry is, is definitely improving and I've seen a lot more, uh, you know, conference events recognition around, uh, female women in IT, women in technology conference, and then women, women's alliance groups. Even here at Alert Logic, we have like a, a women's alliance team that's formed uh, last year and it's all, you know, a lot of things are thriving. So definitely improved over the, the years. What about uh, at events and, and conferences and things like that? Are, are you finding a, a shift in the tone there? Are, are folks more welcoming? I think so. I think so. It depends on sort of which type of conference that we're talking about, right? Of course, for, you know, specific conference related to tech field, it's, it's sort of slightly less uh, focused around the gender. It's more on the subject matter, on the technical uh, trend and industry focus. But then on some of the recent conference I went to, uh, you know, I went to, I spoke at the Women in Tech, uh, Texas conference, and I also attended the Women in IT Summit in New York this year. Both are, you know, a lot of focus uh, talking about how do we, how do we bridge this gender gap in, in tech, in cybersecurity? And a lot of people, including myself, are super passionate about it. You know, we are saying what we are doing in our day-to-day lives about mentoring, uh, you know, fellow female employees. What we're trying to do or brainstorm ideas about how, how do we even, uh, reaching out to the younger generation and, um, for, for our next generation to come, this gap, what we want to see and what, what I want to see is this gap being smaller and smaller. And by the time I have two girls, by the time my girls are entering the workforce, hopefully this gap will not exist. How far back do you suppose we need to go to, to get young girls interested and involved and, and give them a sense that there is a place for them here? Do we begin in elementary school, middle school? Where do you suppose a good place is? Uh, it's interesting you ask. So this one thing I learned, um, you know, attending this uh, Women AIT conference this earlier this year was um, I learned a someone showed me a study result, right? So study shows that the the Kids in the middle school ages, uh, middle school years are actually the most crucial for them to determine 
what they can and cannot do in life. So I would say start from young, but then definitely focus on the, the middle school years. So one of the idea we came, uh, we came up with was, was kind of from a personal experience as well. Like I spoke uh, at the career day at my older daughter's uh, class. So they are fifth graders and kids just, they are not aware like what cybersecurity is about, you know, what do you do as a product manager? So it's crucial to kind of explain the different career paths that entering STEM field can open up to, right? It's not necessarily always sitting there, sitting at your computer, programming. There are so many different career paths one can get into when they enter the technical field and STEM field. So based on that study, you know, we came up with an idea of saying, hey, why don't we, uh, a group of leader, female leaders in the technical field, why don't we offer free in-person and virtual career days for just, you know, not just our kids, for just anybody, right? We offer that up and we provide this just level of awareness so that we can let the girls know, try, you know, don't be afraid of trying new things. Be confident. You do not shut the door in front of you before you even, uh, you know, explore the potential. What are some of the stories that you hear from some of these young women as you talk to them? Uh, is there a, a bit of realization or a revelation that perhaps this is something they can pursue or do some of them already have their sights set on it? Yeah, I, I definitely got a lot of interest. So in, you know, speaking to my daughter's class, and then I did a similar um, sort of training and class to the Girl Scout group, uh, my, my older ones in as well. I think it's just, it's an interesting field for them, right? It's, they have no idea what cybersecurity is about. They even correlated to kind of some of their life experience. Like a lot of girls are, uh, or, you know, girls and boys are playing a lot of games now. And they're saying, oh, you know, like some people reaching out to me uh, on this game, they're strangers, they, they want to kind of, you know, chat with me. And then I just, I kind of quote, hey, this is a way of, of hacking into your lives. And this is like relevant to social engineering. You know, that kind of relationship, it triggers them, their interest. Uh, I hope, you know, I, I think I definitely see a lot of interested eyes in the, in the audience. And I hope this kind of triggers them to research more later on in their, in their lives and in their study as well. That's Nancy Wong from Alert Logic. Our UK correspondent, Carol Terrio, files a report on digital echo chambers and what's in it for us. So I was thinking about these digital echo chambers of ours. You know how our online media feeds present us each with content, opinions, and ads curated just for us individually. Of course, I can see the benefit for providers like YouTube or Facebook and the like. If a user consumes some content without bouncing out early or immediately starting a new search, chances are that they might like to see something similar. And of course, we know that's how they win. You stay on the site, they boost their ad revenue potential. But the question is, what's in it for us, if anything at all? Recent research and opinion on the topic of echo chambers showed a number of different angles. 
For instance, I saw that a Harvard Business Review report said that the higher leaders go, the more likely they're to find themselves in an echo chamber, surrounded by people who think like them and agree with them. Problem if you're trying to find a solution to a problem and can only look at it from one perspective. A recent study from New York University says that by many measures, mass polarization is on the rise in the U.S. Americans are more willing to condone violence, less open to relationships that cut across party lines, and are more prone to partisan-motivated reasoning. And the concern is that social media is accelerating this polarization. I'm not an expert, but in my little world, echo chambers have served to make people more certain of their opinions and less tolerant of others, and me included. On some issues, I've been utterly flabbergasted about how other people seem to respond to the same story, like completely perplexed and sometimes even emotional. But I have to remember that what shaped my opinion was very different to what shaped their opinions. Who knows where we would each be and what positions we would take if we swapped chambers for a beat or three. One research paper suggested that randomly disrupting our feeds with other viewpoints on a topic serves to calm polarity in opinion. But another focusing on radical echo chambers said that when a group felt invaded by opposing viewpoints, they undermined or marginalized the invader suggesting that there might be limited potentials to counter messages to underline radical behaviors in these chambers. Now we've seen Elon Musk, the richest man in the universe and the new owner of Twitter, warning that it is important for the future to have a common digital town square. Others argue no, no, that this type of polarization actually correlates with increases in inequality and economic decline. So there are a lot of opinions and a lot of research and no answers that I see. But echo chambers seem dangerous to me. What do you think? This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Cyberwire Podcast is a production of N2K Networks and proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Datatribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermasis, Ben Yellen, Nick Falecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, 
Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.